Hey, hey, beer fans! Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, still available at all your finest retailers. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. And playing the ukulele. And playing the ukulele, but I don't want to be well known for that. (laughs) Don't worry, I don't think that's going to be a problem. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) On today's episode, we're going to head to the pub and, uh, well, we're going to talk through the beer news before we head into the brewery to talk about a couple of things that we're playing with, including some good hop information that you can use. Before we finally settle into the lounge and we talk about beer in space. Well, no, not really beer in space. But we talk with Rob Fulmer, who is the head of the Association of Brewers Guild's Professionals, and more importantly, the Brewers Space Guild, about, well, what the heck does it all mean? But before we do any of that stuff, please take a listen to the messages from the people who make this show possible. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, publishers of Zymergy Magazine, organizers of HomebrewCon, and enjoyers of homebrew. Join your friends in fermentation at homebrewersassociation.org. And by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and as always, we're going to start off with a few announcements. If you didn't realize it, the last episode of The Brew Files was episode 100. We've done 100 of The Brew Files shows there, which kind of amazes me, but hey, there we are. And Denny and I sit down, and well, we recollect what exactly we think's changed since we started doing that show. So go give it a listen. It's episode 100 of The Brew Files, 100 Files of Beer. <laughs> 100 files of beer hey, look, oh, i make man. up these i make up these episode names on the fly usually when i'm pretty tired so that's the reason why sometimes you guys will notice <laughs> they're a little flighty and strange i was gonna say you know it really shows too uh also there's a couple online events we want to let you know about the first one coming up here real soon april 24th and 25th is the women's international beer summit uh, lots of speakers, the Queen of Beer competition. It's a, a really, really great event put on by Melissa McCann, a wonderful person who uh, is really dedicated to doing this kind of stuff. You can find out more about it at queenofbeer.beer. And uh, the other thing I wanted to let you know is that they need some crowdcast moderators for the event, kind of like letting people into the various rooms and stuff like that. If anybody out there is interested in helping out, email me as soon as possible, because it's about to happen, at denny at experimentalbrew.com, and I will put you in touch with the people running it, and you can see if you can help out. And, of course, that will get you a free admission, too. 
The other thing that we want to make you aware of is that HomebrewCon is going to be online once again this year, June 17th through 19th. The AHA is having HomebrewCon. Uh, and you can check it out and register. There's, a, I believe there's an early bird registration right now. Yep. So just go to homebrewcon.org and you can get all the information and I don't have to try to remember and tell you the wrong stuff. <laughs> well, that, that would never happen. <laughs> no, not with me, man. Huh? <laughs> nope. All right. And then, of course, another reminder is this is episode 131. Which makes the next episode of the show 132. And if Ooh, you all, you're so good at math. I know. If you all do your math, that means it's the 12th episode. Which means it's time for your questions. And boy, do we need a lot of questions because we've had some uh, slack time here in the mix. So email us your questions at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Questions at experimentalbrew.com. Send Denny an email. Send me an email. Send us a Facebook message. Send us a comment. Send us a smoke signal. Do whatever it is that you need. And don't forget, you can also always text us or leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1AL. So get those questions in so that we can talk to you and give you some answers. We hope. And remember, we'll take questions about anything, uh, any aspect of beer, the ingredients, the brewing process, whatever. Uh, we'll take questions about ukuleles. Drew will take questions about chihuahuas. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. Ask us anything. Uh, th- the answer is 42, right? Yep. Uh, well, and I think, didn't we have a question once about your hair care regimen? <laughs> yes, I think we did. Oh, man. Uh, but we won't take questions about that this time because we've already done that. There we go. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... It's World Central Kitchen, a great organization that helps feed people wherever they're hungry. And the really cool thing is that uh, they do it by employing food service people in your town. Uh, If there's a need for food there, they will come and uh, hire the people there to do it. So you're giving your money nationally and you're getting it back locally. Great organization. Kick us some bucks, and we will pass it along to them. And I also want to let you know that we are doing this now through the end of June. We're going a full year on this one because we think it's so important. And Drew and I will match whatever you guys contribute. So uh, give big, hurt us a lot, and let's really help out World Central Kitchen. Indeed. And now it's time for your... Feedback. And just a real quick piece of feedback comes in from Allie Wilson, who says, I've been binging on the podcast again lately. The malt episode is excellent. I contacted Baird's today to see if I can get my hands on some malt 2.0. Love it. Love the fact that people are out there going, hey, can we get some of that at the homebrew level? Yeah, really. That's really great. And and I really uh, enjoyed doing that malt episode. It's one of those things that we don't talk about nearly as much as hops. And uh, we're hoping to get Seth Klon from Mechagrade back on the show pretty soon to give us an update and some of the new barley varieties he's been working on. Uh, so stay tuned. We're talking hops today, but we'll be back to malt eventually and probably throw in some yeast someday too, huh? Well, and might as well get some water in there. Get the get the holy quadrangle. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's right, man. All right, so I guess that that stuff is wrapped up, and it's time to head over to the pub and have a beer. We'll uh, we'll meet you there in just a minute. 
When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my wort to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned global hop supplier located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family farms to the world's finest brewers. With their new online store, YCH products are now available wherever brewers choose to shop. Browse the aisles of your local homebrew store or buy direct from YCH at shop.yakimachief.com. Also, experience the new YCH Mobile Solutions app, a free, sustainable alternative to the popular hop variety handbook with information on more than 120 hop varieties to help you make the best beer possible. Available now in the Apple Store or at Google Play. back everybody we are sitting here in the experimental brewing virtual pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere somewhere in cyberspace and we are having a couple beers and uh, it looks like we're both going for lighter color beers today huh so yeah we're both going for lagers today and, and mine is actually the all season pills which is a classic american pills from my friends over at all seasons brewing company they just opened up Mm, I don't know, beginning of the year, which is kind of hard. Um, but th- All Seasons is owned by the same group that owns the Arts District Brewing Company here in L.A. and Imperial Western. Listeners may remember I interviewed Devin from Imperial Western. And the group that owns this is a company called Pouring With Heart. And they have a reputation for taking over older historical, architectural, interesting type of buildings and facilities and turning them into really cool spaces. Uh, so like Arts District, for instance, is in an old uh, Crazy crazy Gideon's Warehouse. Imperial Western is an old Harvey House restaurant at Union Station. And now the all-season brewing company is in a old Firestone Tire Garage Distribution Center sales floor. And they've just gone and made this thing absolutely gorgeous. It's a historically protected landmark here in LA with this gorgeous Firestone tires, uh, neon sign. And my friend, Eric Garcia, who's been kicking around the LA area is their head brewer. And this is his classic American pills, which is, yeah, it comes in at like, you know, 5.2% corn. He, uh, he's using raw two row in there. It's clean. It's crisp. Uh, the right about the, about the right amount of hop character in there, just under 30 IBUs. It's the sort of beer that we're going to want as it's starting to get warmer. And so I was really pleased to have that the other night. 
Plus, oddly enough, his comes in 12-ounce cans. <laughs> yeah, how traditional, huh? I know, moving away from the uh, the craft brew 16-ouncer. Yeah, really, man. That's uh, one of those things that uh, it was an interesting decision. Uh, most of the time, I don't need that much beer, but of, of one type at least. But on the other hand, sometimes I do, so you never know. Well, and I'm guessing the beer that you're having isn't coming in 12-ounce cans. Uh, no, this actually comes in a nice, uh, 330 seal bottle. Uh, I am drinking an Iinger Jahrhundert beer. I hope I pronounced that right, but I doubt I did. Uh, it's a beer that was made in 1978 for their 100th anniversary. First made in 1978. This one I'm sure is not that old. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I guess I was kind of expecting it to be like a pills, and it's actually more like kind of a cross between a pills and a Hellas. Uh, and I'll just read you what Iinger themselves say about the beer. It's a 5.5% beer. The original gravity is 12.8 Play-Doh. This beer was first brewed in 1978 to celebrate the 100th anniversary of our brewery. It has a golden yellow color with a slightly flowery yeast, honeyish aroma, tastes a little spicy, and is full-bodied in initial taste, mild before swallowing, and soft with a refined sparkle, and fades with a hint of well-balanced bitterness. It is an especially drinkable and harmonious beer. Conrad Seidel, known as the Austrian Pope of Beers, said, It is a malty beer that pronounces the precious earthy quality of malted barley. And all of that is just a long roundabout way of saying this is one delicious beer. It's got a great mouthfeel, but it's not too full. The bitterness is perfectly balanced. Just a hint of uh, floral quality from the yeast and the hops. Very slight spiciness from the hops. It's it's a great beer, and it, my first experience with it, and I guarantee you it won't be my last. There you go, and it should be available at all your finer bottle shops. Yeah, it's one of those. It's not going to be extremely difficult to find uh, if you have somebody that sells good beer near you. And I'm also really happy that Drew hasn't had this one, and I beat him to it. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised. That's not usually the the way this works. So, well, from from that, let's uh, let's jump over into the news. And our first piece of news, actually, uh, Molson Coors is back on the the prowl, hunting down and buying parts of uh, breweries. You guys will remember that this kind of almost feels a little bit like a throwback to a couple of years back. Um, but in an article by uh, Tara Nern, who is a, a Forbes contributor, and she's got a book coming out later this year that should be pretty rad. Um, she's she's covering the fact that uh, Molson Coors bought a minority share in this brewery that actually is staffed by former rival gang members. Um, and it's called uh, true colors in Wilmington, North Carolina. And it was started in 2017 with sort of a mission to, uh, to help reduce gang violence in that town. And really kind of, uh, kind of cool. The guy who, uh, who founded the company is also one of the guys who founded untapped. So a long presence in the, in the beer world. And, he he launched it because he wanted to do something about the problem in his hometown uh, in terms of gang uh, drive-by gang murders and all that sort of fun stuff. And he's put together what I think is actually a really interesting program. I To me, this story is less interesting for the Miller Coors angle and more about the work that he's doing 
to sort of, you know, improve his community and, and help these kids out and help them find a way beyond the gangs. Yeah. You know, man, it is really, really cool. Uh, this is a company that normally I wouldn't even bother mentioning, but when they do stuff like this, uh, it's, it's way beyond the beer. It's, uh, just a great thing for everybody. Yeah. And it's really, some of the stuff that, that they've done is really cool. Like in terms of like really sort of establishing a baseline, like they have a whole program where people who are interested in joining the brewery kind of go through, I don't want to call it a boot camp, but it's kind of a, a, a boot camp style program where, yeah, on they demand certain things from the the people who are jo- joining. They go through certain you know trainings and adventures as cohorts, and then you know they're 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 in like a group of dozen, and they start off at a at a salary of thirty thousand dollars per year with full benefits from the time they start, and then after that, like the second they get through the two months of the boot camp, they're at thirty five thousand uh, dollars, which is not too bad. And it's a way to get them started and established and, and moving. So it's it's actually, again, I don't care about the Molson Coors angle about this. I do actually really think what True Colors is doing is pretty damn cool. So the fact that they're able to get that investment from Molson Coors and keep going with the program is pretty damn awesome. Yeah, I, you know, props to all of them. Uh, it's great that uh, True Colors uh, started it, and uh, it's especially cool that uh, Molson Coors decided that uh, they would help them out by investing. So mm-hmm. good on y'all. And now this one comes from uh, – well, this was your find here, Denny, about uh, yeah, Google. Yeah, you know, and, and I uh, – Thought it was particularly uh, interesting because I had just had a bottle of Duval the day before I ran across this article, and I, it's a beer that I absolutely just love. Uh, it's iconic in here in Belgium. They're celebrating their 150th anniversary, and so they put out an article about uh, how Duval came to be one of the most iconic beers in Belgium, and uh, you know. I'm not going to get into it too much here because there's a lot of stories in here and you should read them for yourselves. But uh, I will suggest that you go out and you find yourself some Duval and uh, drink it while you're reading the story. Uh, It's a wonderful beer. Uh, There are various versions of it. You know, there's the Duval Green, Duval Single, Duval Triple Hop, Duval Barrel Aged. Uh, I haven't had most of those. I did have a chance when I was in Belgium a couple years ago to uh, try some Duval that was aged in a scotch barrel. And it was delicious and very interesting and very different than the, the usual Duval that we get, as you might expect. Uh, but it's a, it's a great beer. It, uh, Really stands for a lot in the beer world, and uh, happy anniversary, guys, and many more to you. Well, and I think the other thing that's also important here is that it, the article also really lays out just how much Duval Morgoth has grown over the years uh, to be actually now, at least in the sort of craftish beer world, one of the largest you know groups. You know, they're not, right. I mean, they're not, they're not going to come anywhere close to like Molson Coors or Anheuser-Busch, but, you know, they own what, Ashouf, Taconic, Leafman's, Boulevard, Firestone Walker, uh, Amagang. I mean, 
Yeah, right. <laughs> They're a number of breweries, and they, and they also it's interesting do too. It's, it's interesting, too, in light of the fact that Amagang has just said that they're really not going to be making any Belgian-style beers anymore. I uh, know. That makes me really sad. I get I it. I know. But... I know. Somebody slapped their hand and tell them to get it together. No, no, no. It's not slap their hands. It's slap the consumer's hands and go make them buy the good stuff. <laughs> what yeah, are you going right. to do? Well, as long as Duval is still around and, uh, you know, back in Shoof and stuff like that, then uh, at least we have alternatives. Although, we'll miss Amagang, huh? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. I, I imagine there will still be the occasional Amagang special that that we'll love. But that's us, not everybody yep, else. That's right. Now, the other thing that I did also want to put out there that I thought was interesting in the news was, you know, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on about vaccination, and we'll talk a little bit about that later in the episode. But one of the things that we're seeing is that there are some breweries out there, uh, Windshift, for instance, in Missouri, that is offering – you know, uh, uh, perks for being able to show that you've been vaccinated. So, you know, take your little CDC vaccination card over to Windshift and I think you get a free pint. I know a couple of places here in LA are doing things where it's like, Oh, show your vaccination card and get, you know, 15% off, you know, that sort of thing. So very interesting, uh, means of incentivizing, uh, getting vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I don't know how much incentive it's really going to be to get vaccinated to get one free beer. But it is it is great that they're saying thank you to those people that have, you know, wh- whether it's an incentive or not. Uh, well, don't don't forget great. your free donut at uh, Krispy Kreme. <laughs> <laughs> really? A free donut at Krispy Kreme? Every wow. day. Wow. We don't have any of those anywhere near where I am. Um, well, that's probably better for your health. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and then there is Anderson Valley. Talk about iconic breweries. These guys have been around for a long, long time. Uh, when I was just getting into craft beer, uh, you know, their, their boont amber was like a staple in the house, mm-hmm. but they've kind of like fallen on hard times. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of breweries that have been around for many years, people kind of start forgetting about. And so they're making a real uh, effort to get back into your mind and into your pockets. Well, yeah. And so the brewery was founded in 1987. I've talked many times before that when I first started to get into craft beer here in LA, you know, a hop on an IPA was like, I was warned before I got a glass of it that be careful. That's really super bitter. You're probably not going to like it. Um, they've been around for this whole time, but the, yeah, it, it, they got bought by what private equity kind of lost their way. It feels like, you know, they went very heavily into sort of the canned gozes of different flavors as, as one of their things. And so Fal Allen, uh, there's a new owner at the brewery who actually lives nearby as part of the community. And so uh, Kevin McGee and Fal Allen are, are going to sort of, they've, well, they've announced like there's this whole program that they're going to do. They're rebuilding part of the site that they're on because it's always been sort of a big brewers area and yeah, that big brewers fest that they have. But now they're making it into like a destination. Come here. You know, we have a park. We have the, this family friendly environment. We have these beers that we have. And it's just, they're trying to basically take advantage of their location and turn the brewery itself into a destination while also at the same time sort of reinvigorating the brands and making sure that people understand that, hey, Anderson Valley is still here and it's still good beer. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you know, and I, it's been several years since I've gotten anything from Anderson Valley, but I, I really want to back up what you're saying. 
it is still good beer. Yes, it is. So from there we go into uh, into the GABF, uh, and it turns out that this year's GABF will also still not be in person. So the Brewers Association has decided to cancel this year's in-person event in Colorado, uh, which is both unfortunate but also unsurprising, you know, just to try and buy some additional buffer room. But what I do think is interesting, and, and by the way, they're, they're going to go with sort of a, another virtual program, kind of like what they did last year with, you know, supporting your local breweries. But the other thing I did think that was interesting is that while they're canceling GABF with its ginormous population of people all in the, the Denver Convention Center, they are going to hold an in-person CBC. Now, admittedly, a much different CBC than normal, but they are going to do a small version of CBC in person with each other. So I think that's kind of an interesting pair of takeaways. Yeah, you know, and I have to admit that it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, but we'll see how it goes. Yep, we will see. But in the meanwhile, any other beer news out there that we should discuss? Let us know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you have something that uh, is interesting, please let us know. Yeah. Don't forget, people, we're almost there. We're coming out the other side of this damn thing. I want to mention a new segment that we're going to start up called Have a Brew with Denny and Drew. Uh, it's going to work something like this. Write in to experimentalbrew.com. Tell us what beer you would like to share with us while we while we all drink it and discuss the beer. Uh, if it's one that only you can get, then you'll have to send us some. If it's one that only we can get, we'll send you some. Maybe it'll be one that we can all get uh, individually locally. But let's get this whole thing started. Write in and tell us why you would like to have a brew with Denny and Drew and what it would be. So there you go. Let's see what happens. Yes, and anybody who writes in to say, yes, I want to share plenty of the younger with you all. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that one won't get chosen. <laughs> you know, when when you pick a beer, it has to be something reasonable. But like I say, if it's something that is local to you, then you'll have to get it and send it to us. If it's something that's local to one of us, we'll have to get it and send it to you. And on the other hand, it might be something like Duval that we can all get and uh, sit down and share a beer and discuss what we think about it. So, again, share a brew with Denny and Brew. <laughs> oh, boy. Share a brew with Denny and Drew. Uh, put that in the subject line and write to podcast at experimentalbrew.com. And who knows, we may all get to drink together virtually. Yay. Yay. Okay, enough of that. We're going to talk about hops again, so we'll be right back. From the Malt Innovation Center... Great Western Malting has released two new products. The first is Biscuit Rye, perfect for your next brewing or distilling experiment. It strikes a pleasant balance between toasted biscuit-forward flavors and classic rye spice. The second is Light Munich, a long-requested iteration of their popular traditional Munich, which brings some sweet malty complexity and a hint of copper color to your next recipe. Look for it at your local homebrew store and request it if they haven't stocked up yet. (music) 
Hawaii's Spring on the Patio private collection release evokes spring vibes and a change in routine as patios, beer gardens, and backyard brew days welcome a round of pints among friends again. This collection holds something for all brewers, novice to expert or modern to traditional. Mix up your hazy IPA routine with 1217 West Coast IPA and join us for the AHA's Big Brew Day on May 1st and brew Janet's Brown Ale with this easy-to-use neutral strain. And I gotta tell you, it's one of my favorites. Try your hand at a fruited, smoked, or one-of-a-kind Goza or Berliner Weiss with the tartness of 5223 Lactobacillus Brevis or opt for the flexible performance and traditional malty flavor of 25 575 Kolsch 2. Find out more about which styles pair best with these strains at yeastlab.com. over here in the brewery and we're going to start off by talking hops and uh, scott janish has just published a new paper that uh, is in the master brewers association of the americas quarterly and it's pretty darn intense uh, you know if, if you mm-hmm. thought that you were going to have a headache from uh, reading the mibu stuff before here you go again well i think the important thing to Realize one a shout out to Graciana who who sent me and alerted me that this article was uh, published and available because um, Scott actually has the PDF that, on this on his website on scottjanish.com. We will include the link in the show notes, of course. But this is in a lot of ways, if you all will remember the Brew Files episode that we did a couple of months back with Scott, this is sort of almost really a written version of this. So if you sort of bounced your head off that and trying to absorb all the stuff that Scott was delivering because the man's got a lot of knowledge and he's sitting there trying to give it to you. Uh, this gives you a chance to read through and actually try and slowly absorb. So it's eight pages long, which doesn't sound too intimidating until you realize how much chemistry is in those eight pages. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, but what's really cool is that, I mean, if nothing else, you can focus on, Basically, the last paragraph of page seven and then the, the, the two columns in page eight to actually find the stuff that, that I think is probably going to be the most practical for, for brewers. Um, and, and so we're getting into that weird, wacky world where people are t- starting to talk about what are you extracting and how can you maximize extraction and target your extractions? Yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of information in this article about, how things work and the interactions between different uh, different aspects of dry hopping, uh, time, temperature, uh, hop type, oils that are going to be extracted. Uh, a lot of a lot of really really good stuff. Some of it, you know, personally, I'm going to like just skip over and get to the uh, how and you know and uh, what happens kind of thing. 
But there is a lot of information here and a lot of different techniques to play around with, some of which may not be quite as applicable to home brewing as others. But uh, I know that I'm going to be experimenting with some of the things in here. For instance, I've been doing my cold dry hopping at 35. Uh, he mentions 39. So I'm going to be trying increasing it a bit and comparing that to what I've been doing, seeing if there's any difference. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, different temperatures will give you different compounds from the hops. They can affect your head retention. Uh, they can affect the pH. Uh, you know, heavy dry hopping can raise the pH of your beer. And I'm talking really heavy dry hopping, probably more than I would ever do even. But that would re uh, raise the pH of the beer, which decreases foam. So, you know, there's a, a whole bunch of things to look at here, read through, and take into account the interactions between different techniques. Right. And so if you go and you look at his his key tips and his key findings that he's talking about, a lot of it backs up to some of the stuff that we've been talking about as well, you know, like doing shorter dry hopping, so one to three days maximum, doing things where you want to agitate the dry hops in order to kind of keep them, you know, to help improve the extraction. So at the professional brewing level, he's talking about, oh, you know, make sure you go and run CO2 up through the tank cone, you know, every day. Uh, we don't have to do that at the home brew level. We can just give your carboy a shake, minimizing your, <laughs> uh, minimizing your oxygen exposure, um, doing things like, you know, taking advantage of some of the biotransformation stuff. And what I think was actually good here was, he actually spelled out some of the reasons for doing biotransformation more than just going biotransformation like with, a, <laughs> yeah. with a, a magician's hand wave, uh, particularly looking at using biotransformation to sort of pull back some of the resinous and sort of the greener uh, hydrocarbon characters from hops. So adding something like say a Sabro into a mid primary fermentation to actually sort of drop back some of those characters and allow other qualities of the hops to shine. So really kind of interesting here. Definitely, uh, definitely sort of backing up some of the things that we've been talking about. And also remember, Julian Schrago from Beechwood has talked often about doing acidification of his IPAs just to avoid that pH bump that happens with dry hopping, even with his West Coast IPAs, as well as his, as his hazies. So even at his dry hopping levels, which aren't necessarily super huge, he's still doing some acidification in order to actually make the beer still taste crisp and bright. So the couple of these things are just reinforcing some of these lessons that we're seeing and learning. Yeah, right. And like I said, uh, there's a whole bunch of information here. Some of it will apply to you. Some of it won't, but uh, there's things that will give you ideas to play around with. Yeah. The one I thought was interesting was, I mean, so Julian usually talks about acidifying his IPAs pre-fermentation to 5.1. Like looking at, uh, Scott's recommendations, he's talking about um, actually doing acidification down to 4849 after the boil to be able to actually deal with the dry hopping levels, which is like, wow, that's acidic. Yeah. So, right. and, and two brief takeaways here just jumped out at me. Uh, dry hopping can harm foam retention, as with hop creep. Shorter dry hop durations and temperatures help to maintain beer foam. And dry hopping at longer durations and warmer temperatures can increase the mm -hmm. concentrations of astringent and green tasting compounds. So again, you know, for many years, the, uh, 
standard method for homebrewer dry hopping was a week or two at room temperature, and uh, that's obviously not a very good idea. Well, and it certainly explains some of the tea-like aromas and flavors that we used to get in IPAs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, all right. Well, now going from that and talking more hops, you all will remember a couple of weeks back I talked a little bit about uh, Styrian Goldings and the fact like they now have all these new Styrian hops with these fantastic names. Uh, I went and I actually bought some from Farmhouse Brewing Supply in Wisconsin. And if you haven't looked at Farmhouse Brewing Supply, they're actually really cool for just having sort of this mega selection of sort of semi-bulk hops. So you can actually buy hops in four-ounce pellets, or four-ounce packs, I should say. And so they actually have a selection of these Styrian hops. So remember, uh, Styrian Goldings is is a classic hop. It's And when, whenever you hear that Styrian name, what it actually is, it's it, the hops from Slovenia uh, in the Balkans. And the Slovenian Hop Research Institute decided to run with that Styrian name as like their brand. Right, so now all these hops are are steering something, so everybody will know. Oh, that's a Slovenian hop. And I, by the way, one of the things I love is that so steering Goldings is the one I always use, like in my saisons, right? And I use that all the time. Fuggle. Yeah, it's actually a fuggle. Uh, it's a fuggle deri- derivative, which means it's one of Denny's favorite hops. <laughs> well, actually, I do like Styrian Goldings, uh, and that, again, just speaks to the influence of terroir on uh, on hops, just like wine grapes. Yeah, it also speaks to the fact that Goldings grown outside of the, the UK, outside of Kent, never seem to be actually Goldings. There are so many hops out there in the world that are called something Goldings, and they're actually a focal derivative. It's so funny. Um, but people wanted to lean in on that Goldings brand name. <laughs> well, so, it's gold, right? It's got to be good. Yeah, exactly. And so of the, the, the Styrians that I picked up, I picked myself up some gold because naturally, why wouldn't I want to have some? Uh, and I wanted to be able to actually baseline against the same, same sort of crop year in the same sort of region. So I got some Styrian Goldings, you know, which is really just classic. Then I got the Styrian Dragon, which is... Gonna love these names. Styrian Dragon, uh, passion fruit, melon, berries, uh, f- fleshy fruit, okay, which I'm gonna take as kind of a stone fruit, and sweet pepper, and that comes in at a seven percent alpha acid. So that that should be a real interesting either sort of bright hoppy saison or an IPA hop. Uh, Styrian Fox, which feels in a lot of ways to me sort of uh, almost like a throwback to cluster in a way, with the fact that it leads off with elderflower and black currant and then combining in tropical fruits, pineapple, pine, and citrus. So it's interesting that it has a little bit of that foot in both worlds. And then the, the one that I guess is apparently the most popular is Styrian wolf. And it has dominant strawberry flavors with slight savory, passion fruit, mango, spice, citrus, and floral aromas topped with notes of herbal anise and black licorice. That's a, Melange, and it comes in at 12.4 percent alpha acid. And the, the only one I didn't get that Farmhouse has is that they had a Styrian Cardinal, and I didn't get that one because that one's all uh, gooseberry uh, type flavors, and wasn't exactly looking forward to using that in a saison. I'll get to it, but I'm really interested because these are brand new hops. Slovenia is kind of a, a relatively unexplored region for this sort of stuff. I mean, again, as a Styrian Goldings. But that whole Balkans area has been part of the, the beer world for forever and a damn day. And so I'm really curious to see what 
we get out of those Slovenian hops that are sort of going in a more new world sort of fashion as opposed to sort of your classic continental European Zots, Ararat's Noble, spicy, peppery type of flavors. So I'd be really, really curious, and I would love to hear from y'all. If any of y'all have used the the steering hops, let me know what your experiences were. Uh, podcast at experimentalbrew.com. I look forward to taking notes. Otherwise, my plan is I'm going to make a, a series of baseline saisons with these. Use the Goldings to provide the classic profile, and then try the Dragon, the Fox, and the Wolf just to see what shows up there in using that, and still use a relatively neutral saison strain. So I'm not trying to overpower the hops. So you know, like and that. it's it's interesting to see these names. It kind of puts you in mind of uh, what they've done with Maris, right, with the uh, mm-hmm. otter and all the other animals. Yeah, I, I think that was exactly the intention is to do something. Plus, I mean, let's face it, dragon. Wolf. <laughs> Styrian dragon. Ooh, boy, there's a name for a beer right there built in. Well, I know there is there is somebody who has a Styrian wolf beer that is leans heavily on that wolf branding, and, and it's slipping my mind right now. I just talked to Stan about it the other day, and it just popped back out of my head. So, But again, I thought I've heard about these hops for the past year. I figured that it was about time to go play with them. So let's go see what we get from some Slovenian hops, shall we? Let's do. All right. And now, in one of the last episodes of The Brew Files, we talked about the tilt refractometer, hydrometer, floating gravity measuring gidget. Um, And Denny was sort of down on them, or not down on them, just not for him. Yeah, just something I don't really need. Yeah, but... Speaking of things that you may not necessarily need, you just got something. Yeah, well, it's something that Drew already has. It is uh, a Milwaukee MA871 digital refractometer. Uh, it's just, it's getting too hard for my old eyes to read hydrometers. And, you know, not only that, but it, it just looked like it would be something that was cool and useful, uh, more so than I guess I found the tilt to be. So I grabbed it. I've uh, I haven't used it all the way through a beer yet. I've just been kind of playing around with it. I have several beers going right now, and uh, so I've been trying to check the gravity with it. But you know, not having checked uh, when they started, you know, just used a, a hydrometer for that. I'm I'm not real confident in what I'm getting out of it. But uh, I'm looking forward to brewing next week, and I'll use it uh, both all the way through the brew, and then I'll start using it to uh, check final gravity and stuff like that. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It it looks like a great little piece of equipment, easy to use, and uh, it reads quickly, huh? Yeah, it does. That's part of the reason why I like it is while I'm doing my brewing day, and I know we've talked a lot about, like, you know, refractometers are more practical and more useful during the, the brew day, whereas hydrometers are probably more useful for getting that end-of-the-day measurement and then also doing your your fermentation tracking and doing your final measurements. Uh, but, yeah, that, that Milwaukee refractometer is a blessing during a brew day because just grab a little sample, let it cool for maybe like a second, and drop it on there and go. And you get your reading, and next thing you know, you can do all your math. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And I'm I'm still in the uh, in the process of 
calibrating it to my hydrometer because that's why I didn't ever like refractometers before because I just could not get them to agree with my hydrometer ever. I don't think that's going to be an issue with this one, and uh, I just need to use it more and get used to it and uh, find out exactly where I'm going to get into the brewing process. Yeah, and, and one quick tip about those. Uh, yes. Probably, yes. Not a problem, probably not a problem for you uh, because I think you brew inside your shed. But if you're like me and you tend to brew outside, you have to be careful. They don't, they'll, they'll throw up a mysterious air that doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, and when you go and you read up in the manual, cause why not? Manuals do prove useful every once in a while. <laughs> um, it turns out that they don't read very well if you're out in the sunlight. So you need a room or you need a space where basically you're not having a lot of direct sunlight across that iris. Because otherwise it will mess up the refractometer reading. Oh sure, yeah, so, that makes that makes perfect sense. So. Yeah, but I well, ran good. into I ran into it going, "What is this error? I don't know. This this makes no sense. This is not a this is not a human readable thing." Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something I'm not gonna have to deal with. So cool. That's good to know though. Okay, how about we get out of here? We head over to the lounge and go into outer space. Let's do it. Okay, we'll be spacing out when we get back in just a minute. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their 8th generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. Welcome to the lounge. Drew had a chance recently to talk to Rob Fulmer of the Association of Brewers Guilds Professional and the Brewers Space Guild, and I'll just let him tell you about it. Right. So this was something we mentioned during the the show, the reaction to April's April first, April Fool's Day. The Brewers Space Guild launched on that day, and they're there to represent brewers in space. But in reality, what it's all about is Rob Fulmer is one of the uh, one of the chief forces behind the Arizona State uh, Craft Brewers Guild. And as we know, if you look around in your states, 
all of our states have state brewers guilds and they're there to do various bits and bobs, you know, like help make sure tax laws don't get jacked up on craft brewers, fight for craft brewery rights, fight for the ability to be able to do to go beer, you know, other things that, that we're concerned about as beer consumers. So over the past year do with, you know, things like budget cuts happening at the Brewers Association, some of the national coordination stuff has been lost uh, because of budgets. And so Rob and company and a whole bunch of the professionals around this country who kind of work behind the scenes decided to band together and make their own organizations. So they're, they are setting up the Association of Brewers Guilds Professionals, which is going to be there to help support, coordinate, and educate the people who are out there fighting for our craft breweries at the local level. And they decided to launch with the help of BSG, the Brewers Space Guild, just to get the message out there and to be able to raise some funds to actually be able to get the organization off the ground. So sit back and let's listen to Rob talk and explain exactly what the hell does a Brewers Guild do. Okay, so you remember on the last episode, we talked a little bit about April Fool's jokes and some of the good, some of the bad, some of the ugly. And one of the ones I thought was good was this whole announcement of essentially the Brewers version of Space Force. And in order to be able to talk a little bit about that, I have Rob here on the phone. Rob, introduce yourself to everybody. What do you do? Sure. Um, my name is Rob Fulmer. I'm the executive director of the Arizona Craft Brewers Guild. Um, I've been doing that for about uh, seven years, uh, in a couple months. And, um, you know, over over in Arizona, we have about 100 independent breweries. And uh, we've managed to have some great legislative uh, sessions even this year in, in the pandemic. And um, and recently, uh, I'm one of a handful of people that were trying to start uh, another organization, which we're going to talk about. And this all first came to attention as we're talking, like literally two days ago, uh, with a really funny set of stories that got shared about beer in space, right? So tell people about the Brewers, uh, Brewers Guild there. Yeah, it's it's this uh, Brewer Space Guild, and um, we've we've been kind of wanting to do something for April Fools for a while because, uh, we're, well, as you'll learn, we're 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 connected to each other, but we're sort of on our own quite a bit. We're we're uh, not able to just you know go down the street and, and chat with uh, our next door neighbors uh, in California or Colorado and so forth. Um, and we're not like brewers; uh, we we certainly are culturally like them. Um, but we don't make beer and we, um, uh, we don't work retail hours. We don't, uh, uh, deal with customers in the same way they do. Uh, and, and we're not the Brewers Association and, and we do love the Brewers Association, but they're interested in supporting breweries as well. And our well-being is, is important to them, but so far as it, it matches their mission. And, and so, um, we decided to do something fun. Um, we did the Brewers Space Guild and, um, part of that was, to incorporate the uh, initials uh, BSG, um, we worked with Brewer Supply Group. We've always kind of admired their sense of humor at, at conventions, and um, I, I know that they do that also at the homebrew level. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing them um, make parody labels, and, and um, they've always seemed to have a, a sense of humor. So uh, I was really aiming to, to capture their attention, and fortunately they underwrote uh, a portion of our uh, creation of our, our organization. So I guess the, the joke is, st- it, the in, the internal joke was, sometimes it might be easier to just do this in space. <laughs> <laughs> Legislation might just be easier if we just started all over from scratch. There you go. And so 
let's then back up because you talked about individual guilds, and I know my friend uh, Franny is involved, even though she's not a state guild uh, guild director. She's the L.A. County uh, Brewers Association's, uh, or sorry, the L.A. County Brewers Guild director. Um, so I know she was involved in this as well and having some fun. What do these different state and local brewers guilds do? What is your all's focus? Um, you know, it, it's generally promote and protect, um, or protect and promote, depending on which state you're in. Um, we have a relatively, um, stable set of alcohol policies and laws, but, you know, we, we still go for, uh, all kinds of, uh, changes. Uh, these, these, uh, these title four, well, for our state, it's title four. These alcohol laws are written in isolation and sometimes they don't always mesh with reality or other laws or even internally within different laws and rules. So we, we work that pretty hard to make sure there's clarity. And, and importantly, you know, because this product now is, is across the country, there's inter, interstate and interstate commerce. We want to make sure that we're competitive uh, with other states. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's typically been the, the, the what state guilds do. It's, it's something that um, the Brewers Association can't really get a handle on because it's a lot of states with a lot of different laws. Mm-hmm. And until recently, um, regional guilds weren't so involved in that. But um, with the pandemic and COVID, and um, we start we, we started to really have conversations and realize, you know, that they also have a policy role, and it's not just in the counties or or the cities. And and so, um, you know, based on our relationships uh, over the last couple of years, we we really have come to value the regional guilds in a different way. Right. And so, as a perfect example. You mentioned COVID, and of course, COVID has been a very challenging time for a lot of our breweries. And here in California, we did a lot of very aggressive locking down, which has been talked about endlessly. And a lot of that impacted our breweries as well. And so, as you mentioned, like the regional guilds, and I had talked about Franny in the L.A. County area, L.A. County was aggressively locked down because we were so heavily affected. And thanks to the state guild, thanks to individual brewery actions, and thanks to the actions of you know, the L.A. County Brewers Guild, they did a lot of work essentially working through the city council and the county council to, you know, say, hey, you know, board of supervisors, you're treating these breweries unfairly. Help us out here, you know. And so I imagine you guys had probably had to do some of that same sort of stuff during COVID as well. We did. And, and um, we actually did talk to Franny. I actually, um, um, during this time period, we, we would sometimes do a Facebook Live and, and I had her on and we discussed things. And, um, even though the problem is very similar or almost the same, mm-hmm. the dynamic of working with a county board of supervisors is much different than working with a governor in this case or a mm-hmm. legislature in other cases. And it's really um, – um, I got into this obviously because I like beer. I like the taste of beer. I used to make beer as a home brewer. Um, I, 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 I remember I, you at the conferences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and I'm, it still excites me and I, I, all of that. But um, uh, the policy thing is really interesting to me now too. I mean, I, I mean it has to be. Um, so, and, 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 you know, through this job and I'm sure, uh, Franny feels the same way. It's like, we feel like we're doing, um, our community a, a service. We're making our place better, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, 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 a uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's t- tremendously rewarding, not necessarily belly laugh fun anymore, but, um, it's tr- very rewarding. And, and, um, back to your question. Yeah. Um, the LA County thing was particularly challenging and, and uh, we would get on, uh, you know, Zoom or we would uh, have our formal meetings and informal meetings. We'd have a couple happy hours and, and just bouncing ideas off the wall from coast to coast. Um, and sometimes just having a shoulder to, to lean on or um, just we literally do not have a water cooler situation in our 
sector of the industry. Mm. You know, we, we, you know, if you're lucky to have another individual in the office, um, in most states it's one or two, um, in other states it can be a couple more, but, um, just to have that water cooler moment, just to vent a little bit is so important. Well, and then that brings us to the actuality behind the joke that was Brewer Space Guild. You guys are actually trying to recreate that water cooler and the moment and sort of that help and coordination at a national level. That's correct. And, and I think, um, you know, again, I've, I've mentioned that the Brewers Association is instrumental in connecting us. Um, they provide, uh, you know, a government affairs track at CBC. Uh, they, um, they had Acacia Coast uh, before the pandemic, uh, a state guilds coordinator um, who who would connect the dots for us uh, a little bit. Um, yeah. But obviously, uh, well, uh, and, and, and obviously once she got that going, it was a real shame to have to lose her um, because of the cuts over at the BA. But, yeah. but you know, um, we wanted to kind of take the ball on our own a little bit. Um, and, and, and the distinction here is when I do something um, – it's, you know, I'm using guild resources, my own organization's resources or time. Um, and, and, uh, if we're leaning on the BA, we're using their time and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we just wanted a, a um, uh, something that we would run under our own steam and it would still, it would definitely be an enhancement to, um, my own employment with my own state guild mm-hmm. and with my association with the BA. But, but like, like I said, we're not actually members of our own organizations. I don't get a vote on my own organization. I have influence, of course, but I don't, I'm not a board of directors. I don't get to vote on my own situation in my own organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we're not technically BA members. We, uh, we, we don't pay dues. We don't have voting rights. And so we just decided it was maybe important for us to have our own, um, uh, organization and, and um, we're we're learning a lot just from trying to create it. <laughs> Isn't that always the case? You guys herd cats by the day, and now you have to herd yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, except we're a little bit more understanding because <laughs> 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 we live it. Yeah. Well, and so the the new organization is it's with the Association of Brewers Guilds Professionals. Is that do I have that? Yes. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of BGPPPG. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ABGP. A- um, which, if, if you think ACDC in your head, it might help remember <laughs> ABGP. There you go. And so you're, this organization is now attempting to bring together all of these disparate uh, groups. You mentioned before, obviously, the BA had some some of that function-esque, but their their concerns are different. And, of course, you're, you're right. Sadly, Acacia is off in the world now. Uh, she's awesome. Um, she is. She is. And so now the hope is to be able to actually get some – some national level organization around the concerns that you guys carry forward in your day-to-day operations, as opposed to, you know, like with legislation, with taxation, with, with rules enforcement and all that sort of good stuff, right? Yes. This is going to be a 501 C three. Our organizations are 501 C 501 C six C six. You can be politically active. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, I mean, uh, but for, uh, but for the um, Space Guild stuff, <laughs> we're not going to be politically active. Right. Um, this is just a, a in, in the same way, um, if you're a human resources professional, there's a society for human resource professionals or something that, to that to effect. This is, uh, this is to build our, our own education um, development. And, and so um, we will not be um, raising 
our individual issues, but we will be working together on, on projects that, you know, extend beyond our state laws. And it's, uh, that's the distinction as well. So it's, it's a lot of, say coordination and education but not necessarily you know here's let's let's coordinate people going talking to the state house right well we'll be working on those skills but you won't hear the organization come out and 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 do any work or statements or anything we're definitely going to use the organization to build our skill set um and to network Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you won't, except for maybe outer space. I think we're not going to late. We're we're not going to lose that claim. <laughs> um, so, uh, but uh, it, it is strictly going to be about our um, development and what our needs are, and um, and to really enhance uh, people's understanding of what we do. Um, I, 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 some of the jokey things that we put out there. Uh, you had mentioned DTC, direct to consumer, mm-hmm. and um, people didn't know what those acronyms were. I think. You know, we put out something about, you know, the, the, the frontier without tears. People didn't know what the three tier system is. And, and there are people who have very strong opinions about it. And, um, I, I don't really, I don't think I weighed in at what my personal ones are, but, you know, there, there's so many people invested in it right now. It's, it's probably unreasonable to think we could just jettison the whole thing. But, um, you know, we'll work a little bit on those kinds of educational issues. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, again, I think I think people don't understand what we do, or they don't understand what the issues are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there are brewers that would never want to get rid of the three tiers. An example: there are brewers that are breweries that are against direct to consumer, um, but there's a lot that are for it. So, yeah, that those is, are the issues that we wade through. Yeah, and the direct to consumer, I think, is like one of the few few upsides to the pandemic was the fact like I could suddenly do things like have Russian River delivered to my house. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, and and it's it's exciting to us. Not everything is a perfect fit for what we're doing state by state Mm -hmm. um, because there are trade-offs that have been made historically, and people have based their businesses around the assumptions made at that time. So Mm -hmm. even, even, you know, there are things that I want. There there are – there are, I change my opinion on on COVID-related issues on a weekly basis almost. But in the end, you know, we have to do what's right by our our breweries, and we have to follow our mission and – what our board expects of us. So, um, and that's largely what we do. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we put our personal stuff aside a lot in mm-hmm. this job. So let's, uh, let's take the, the, the look back. You said, um, a lot of people don't really know what these, the guilds are doing. Yeah. And also they don't know a lot of the, the oddball acronyms like DTC. Um, what what in your mind is the greatest benefit of both you know state union or state guild and you know like the the regional guilds as well like what do they provide to the breweries what do they provide to the consumer um well generally speaking um and, and this may not always be true and it may not be true every state generally speaking most of the things that we do on behalf of our breweries are consumer friendly um because uh, there is a great demand for our products in many different formats, many different ways. Um, you know, it's the same beer, right? You know, but packaging matters. Um, you know, distribution matters. Um, you know, who gets access to what? All that matters. And, and so, generally speaking, we're trying to get things in people's hands. And so, most of the things that we do are consumer friendly. There are some things that you know that that you know aren't necessarily. I mean. Um, I think we all enjoy getting different products, and I think we have. 
if you've spent any time in this um, culture, if you want something, you could probably get it. Um, but there are people who want completely no restrictions on 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 commerce going across state lines, and I, you know, I, that's just not realistic for a state guild to accomplish. It, it would work against the interests of the breweries that they serve. So, you know, um, uh, the things that the things that we do um, are we are always at the state house looking um, for opportunities to help our breweries, and you know, in the, in, in a lot of cases, we're defending against uh, things that could potentially be um, bad for our breweries. And some of them, um, a lot of them, are not necessarily someone going out to do something terrible. Uh, a lot of times it's something they they think is a good idea and don't understand or don't want to understand the negative impacts to our industry. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get in a conversation with them earlier before they're really invested in the idea, you can save a lot of heartache. So a lot of things we do – don't ever see the light of day. <laughs> I know that's convenient, but um, that's just the truth. Um, having relationships, I, I tell people, you know, we're we're small because we're just one or two person teams. We're we're agile, um, but we're going to make a lot of friends um, so that we can um, accomplish what we need. Most most breweries, state guilds are the small one of the smaller players in the alcohol stakeholders. Uh, situation, both monetary um, number of fans, um, you know, uh, but we have very active fans, mm-hmm. um, you know. So, and there are more fans definitely of Coors Light than uh, any one of our products. This is true, um, and but I mean, I do think it's more. Even though you said that there are things that happen sort of behind the scenes, or you know, the things where people are you know not doing things intentionally, there are also other things where, like Oregon, just what just briefly beat back what was going to be a, a bill to try and raise the, the the beer tax to one of the highest in the country, yeah, and that was because oh we we need to fund anti alcohol efforts and and alcohol rehab. That's definitely a thing, um, and and um, they're trying to make beer or all alcohol more expensive, and they think that that's the way to keep people from abusing alcohol. You know, um, obviously. Um, Overconsumption, um, addiction is a problem, um, mm-hmm. but you know I think a lot of us agree that that's not the way to solve it. Um, but yeah, th- those elements are out there, and, and you'll probably see uh, a movement to lower the blood alcohol for for intoxication for, um, while driving, and um, people go, "Ah, oh, that's crazy! It'll never happen." Well, it happened in Utah. Well, that's Utah. Well, that's how it started. That's how the that's how the age uh, the the drinking age went from. 18 to 21. It started with Utah, and believe it or not, um, the uh, the uh, National Transportation Safety Administration has a lot to do with some of these decisions. Um, they they don't have to chase airplane wrecks anymore, and and um, they are working definitely with groups that want to uh, eliminate highway deaths, and they're attributing it mostly to. Um, uh, alcohol consumption. They're 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 not necessarily looking at repeat offense, uh, repeat offenders. Mm-hmm. They are casting a wide net, painting with a, a big brush. Uh, and so, those are things that that show up in the state legislature. That I know it, uh, Oregon in particular, uh, Hawaii, uh, Washington State. Um, I thought it was for sure going to come here to mm-hmm. Arizona, but it hasn't. But uh, the dynamics of it are, are are very interesting. Because um, those who um, want to uh, make that argument 
um, they use the word intoxication. Mm-hmm. Your, your degree is intoxicated, not degree sober. So yeah. you lose the argument as soon as you use that language. Yeah, it's good. Well, framing is always important in political discussions. But now, so beyond the, the, the politics, I know at least here in California, one of the things our guilds do is they also they do a lot of promotional work, and sometimes that takes the the, the form of festivals. You remember those? Yes, <laughs> I do. As I, that's the uh, Zeppelin. Do you, does anyone remember laughter? <laughs> yeah, that's I remember, the way I feel. <laughs> I remember beer festivals. They were fun. Um, so I, I assume part of the other uh, part of the other work here of the ABGP is going to be to do you know like hey you know here's what here are ideas of things that people are doing for promotion. Here's here's how how we're you know really selling the not selling but promoting you know our local breweries to uh, to the public and getting the word out there as well right yeah uh, absolutely and um we've learned a lot about festivals and their importance during this time and uh, most of us well all of us if if we're still around and and haven't had to dip too much into the reserves uh, have figured out different ways to to um get that revenue back some are tied to our mission um for example we did a coupon booklet Mm-hmm. Um, that's still tied to promoting breweries. Um, there may have been other projects that aren't necessarily tied to your mission, and that's where you can get to some IRS trouble. So festivals are important because they uh, they introduce products to consumers. Yeah. I mean, that's that's education, uh, straight up. Uh, I know it's fashionable for two- and three-year-old breweries sometimes to poo-poo festivals and, you know, oh, they're drunk fests and all this other stuff. Well, I mean, they are what people make them. And, um, you know, I, you know, when, when I do a festival for my organization, my name goes on it. Uh Like that's my bar for the day. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, it's easy for people to go, oh, you know, we're just having fun or for, for, um, the participants, both serving and participating to, you know, kind of dismiss it. But like, I wouldn't come into someone's brewery and just go, Hey, I'm going to pour my own drinks. And, uh, you know, and, uh, I know um, I'm only supposed to have so, so much alcohol, but, and I have to pay for it all using tickets, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> can you imagine? So, you know. I, having, having dealt with the public in the past, yes, I can. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I think when things come back, uh, and, um, you know, I, I always try to work on the ROI for a brewery. And, you know, we, but, you know, the, the brewery has to uh, actually, um, Work on that too. You can't just serve beer and not talk to anybody. They, they, they you know, if I say, hey, they, I don't think we're really, we're just doing this for a guild function, and you know, we're not really getting an ROI. I, you know, my answer is, how many people did you talk to that have actually come to your brewery? Well, I don't know. Like, you should be counting. You should, you could just ask one question. Hey, have you ever been to our place? And you'd have a stat right there. You could start counting women to men. You can count. Uh, you can break people down by age group. Um, that's just at a very gross level. You know, for our festivals, we, we do the license scan and, and we provide, you know, data. You know, here's, here's, here's the zip codes that people attended. Um, here's the age, you know, of the driver's license. Um, here's the gender. Stuff like that. And, you know, we can give that to people, but if they don't actually try to use it or understand it, then, um, well, and I it, think that's it's tough. And I think that's an important point then. There's, there's an aspect that, all right, I think most people, who are not in the business when they interact with the guilds, it's either because they hear about something going on in terms of legislation or they, they go to a guild festival. But I don't think a lot of people really think about the fact that 
one of the functions of the guilds is to turn around and educate their members about good business practices and and how not to be how to be a responsible member of the community and how to take advantage of the information that's out there to actually be able to do better beer making. Yeah, yeah, but there's another dynamic here too. Um, our breweries want us to help other breweries mm-hmm. to a point. <laughs> Um, they, we're, we're, we're supposed to allow our breweries to be competitive too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, typically the board will go, Hey, you, you did it enough. You told them what, you told them what the law was. You told them what the practice was. You told them, um, you can stop now. And, and that's, you know, that's the hard one to walk away from, but you, but they're right. You have to allow people to, um, make mistakes. And, and, you know, I'm not going to say everything that we give out. His advice is completely, you know, infallible. But um, we have to compete, and so I think there's a misconception too that somehow um, people pay us honestly a trivial amount of dues. Um, they participate in festivals, which we do, you know, receive um, a disproportionate amount of the funds from festivals. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the way it works. But they think that somehow, it, you know, I can tell a brewery to make better beer or. Uh, I can tell them to stop doing these fuzzy uh, trade practices, or it, it's it's not really that simple. No, no, I mean, all you can do is give information, show good practices, and then walk away. Exactly, exactly. It's no different than dealing with um, homebrew, and you can tell people, like, this is what you should do, or these are the many things you can do. And if people say, no, I like it this way, then... There's nothing you can do. Indeed. All right. Well, Rob, before I let you go and uh, get back to your Saturday, anything else that you feel people should know about either their local guilds or the APBG or? Um, you, you know, uh, I, I just pay attention to them. Uh, what I'm going to tell you what exactly what they uh, uh, think you should understand or know, particularly um, this time of year. Uh, this is towards the end of most legislative sessions. Um Again, a lot of times, you know, we're, we don't like to pull the public, uh, sentiment card too often. Um, and we want to make sure that your time is, is well spent. Um, so we don't do it all that often, but when, when we do, it's, it's really important. And sometimes it's, it's like 12 hours notice, like, Hey, uh, uh, you know, there's a floor amendment we have to kill. Yep. The bill was great until this floor amendment, and um, we need your emails. We need calls. If you have a personal association with so and so, that's what we need. So, um, and and um, you know, we're here to to make our breweries better, and so we're we're, um, we're struggling right now. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. uh, absolutely. And, and I know again, I know from Franny that uh, this year has been rather lean and hard to get through. So do do as a beer lover, not even as a, a brewery owner, but as a beer lover, make sure you go sign up uh, sign up for your local guilds. So like for instance here in LA, I've got the Los Angeles County Brewers Guild and also the California Craft Brewers Association uh, that covers all of California. I have those and I pay attention to those and yeah, they send out alerts sometimes to say, "Hey, we need your help." And, you know, get on it. If you like good beer and you like better rules and you like uh, a good environment for your breweries to work in, uh, your your guilds are going to need your help. One more thing, Drew, and I appreciate you reaching out. Um, mm-hmm. um, 
if you go to BrewersSpaceScale.com uh, right now, we are selling to some T-shirts. Um, it costs a couple thousand dollars to get your legal paperwork together. BSG Brewer Supply Group is is giving us some of that money, um, you know. Uh, but we we want to be able to to uh, uh, provide some sort of travel budget for when we go back to in person meetings, so that we can. Uh, network together face to face. Sometimes, if, if I'm, I'm hoping that we can give 12 states a $500 grant, um, and and that that money doesn't seem like a lot, but that that seems to be the money, amount of money that um, is a decider. Like, well, you know, my guild doesn't think I should go, and they want me to pay my own travel. Well, here you go, because I don't think that should be a barrier. I don't think $500 should be a barrier between. Um, meeting with industry peers and becoming better at your job, um, I, I just that that would be a heartbreaker. Indeed. All right. And so for people to go buy the merch, where do they go again? BrewersSpaceGuild.com. There you go. And we'll include a link in the show notes. So, Rob, thank you so much for taking part of your Saturday and talking to us. And uh, hopefully you guys have good luck and you can get this organization off the ground to help do some uh, education and coordination. Thank you. I, I, your, your interest shows that we will. <laughs> there you go. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was good. I like the I like the way their message is set up, and I do think what the the work that these guilds do is very important. So I love the fact that they're that they're kind of getting this together, and really as a beer consumer, maybe less. I mean, less as a home brewer, less as a you know even a, an amateur brewer, but really as a beer consumer in our space the work that these people are out there doing is very, very important. And of course, if you're a beer nut and you're tightly tied into your local community, you know and love these people, but they don't tend to get a lot of praise and a lot of support. So I've, you heard, you heard me mention Franny a couple of times in the interview. Franny is one of my favorite people here in Los Angeles, Los Angeles County, the largest County in the United States has its own brewers guild and it's run and staffed by exactly one person. And she's incredibly hardworking never stops and is out there to be a force for good beer in LA. And so the fact that now they're trying to put together this organization to actually be able to give each other some mutual support, I think is pretty awesome. So make sure you go to brewersspaceguild.com and you can actually you know, buy some merch and some, and, and throw some support and some love their way so they can actually get the whole organization off the ground and not only be able to defend your rights to beer here, but to be able to defend your rights to beer in space. <laughs> which as we all know is going to be incredibly important someday absolutely okay we're going to take a quick break here and when we come back we're going to be wrapping the show up with a quick tip and something other than beer stick around we're going to be right back Welcome back, everybody. 
Normally, this would be the place where we do questions and answers, but next show is all questions and answers, so we're going to save them for that. And a reminder, if you guys want to ask us a question about brewing, about ukuleles, about dogs, about whatever you want to ask, send them to questions at experimentalbrew.com, and we'll get them on the show next time. And one more reminder about Share a Brew with Denny and Drew. If you have an idea for what brew you would like to share with us, send us an email with share a brew in the subject line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. And who knows, we may choose you to have a virtual beer with. Mmm, beer. Mmm, beer. So, you got a quick tip for us. I do. And uh, this is, by the way, this is a quick tip that comes out there from the internet. Uh, not something I've tried yet, but uh, something I kind of think is interesting. Remember, we were just talking about the Scott Janish article and some of the things he's mentioning in there about doing as much as you possibly can to reduce oxygen exposure, uh, particularly around dry hopping, to help preserve some of these oils. He, you know, for the professional breweries, there are ways that you can do this. You know, we've seen things like hop cannons and other CO2-powered gadgets to inject hops. I've even talked about using a two-liter bottle and a carbonator cap to flood with CO2 and then squeeze that in so that you're minimizing the oxygen mix in some people out there on the internet. And again, I have not played with this yet, but I do think this is a kind of a clever one is they are taking dry hop bags, you know, yield nylon bags that we all know and love and putting their dry hop doses in there along with a magnet that's sealed somehow in a food grade and sanitary way. And, you know, like put it in a vial or a tube or something like that. And then suspending the hop bag inside their fermenter, with another magnet sitting on the outside. And so that when it comes time for you to actually do your dry hop run, you just pull the magnet from the outside of the carboy or your bucket or whatever it is that you're using, and the hop bag drops into the beer. Zero oxygen exposure, not having to open up the, the tank, the carboy, whatever. Uh, and there you go. Dry hopping without oxygen exposure. Now, again, I have not played with this, but I did see this in a couple places on the internet. And I thought it was rather clever. So I thought I'd bring that to you guys. Uh, so get, get yourself a magnet, or actually two magnets, and get yourself a dry hop bag. Give it a try. Uh, although I would also suggest that uh, you try this first before you actually try it in beer. <laughs> yeah, right. Make sure that the magnets are going to hold. Uh, make sure that they'll actually come loose when you need them to come loose. Uh, this is one of those things that I don't really think I have a need for, but I might try it anyway, just for the heck of it. Well, cause again, I think this, this goes more important for people who are doing the hazy IPAs, which of course not your bag, but for those hazy IPAs where people are obsessively trying to minimize oxygen exposure to avoid damaging the hop character, it makes some sense. So I thought that was, uh, I, I thought that was just a rather clever solution. Now, whether or not it's a clever solution that actually works. <laughs> that's going to have to take some yeah, testing. Yeah, that's a, that's a totally different issue, isn't it? Yep. All right. And then just to leave you out, something other than beer, this time we don't have anything entertaining for you. But uh, Denny and I are both now fully vaccinated people. So, yay. yay. I've still got a couple of days to go before my vaccine is at the full potential. But I just wanted to give a quick shout out and a thanks to all the people out there who are working on those front lines and actually getting the vaccines into people's arms and making it possible when I, I don't know about your experience, Denny, but for me, I did mine through the city of Pasadena health department 
and they had a vaccination site a couple miles from my house at the local community college. And I rolled up in my car. They directed me into the parking garage. They took all my paperwork. It From the time I showed up to the time I had my shot, it was 15 minutes. And then, then they made me go park someplace and wait for 30 because I'm allergic to penicillin. But literally, it was 45 minutes to go get both of my doses. So uh, I love the fact that uh, really, for as oddly fractious and contentious as this country can be sometimes, we kick butt at logistics. So I did want to, I did want to just give a quick shout out to all those who are making that happen. Obviously, Danny and I hope that you guys are out there getting vaccinated and that we can come see you at a brewery sometime soon. That's right. That's the best reason that there is right there. All right. Let's get out of here. All right. Thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit and the Slack homebrewing channel. I'm on a bunch of different uh, beer forums, including the Beer Garden and the AHA Discussion Forum. Uh, you can find me probably way too often on Facebook. And if you want to ask us a question, and remember, we need your questions for the next episode, you can always email us at podcastatexperimentalbrew.com. If you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com. He's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And you can call and leave us a text or a voicemail at 626-765-1-ALE. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. 